Hey brothers, Maestro here, and welcome to Catacombs Episode 5, an Orthodox Christian Men's Association program dedicated to becoming better men together in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's enter the catacombs with prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy, Lord, have mercy. O Lord, bless. O Christ, God, bless the work of thy servant, for thou art holy now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. So we have a really exciting show for you today. It's going to be pretty cool. Let me just say that uh, the Our Father that I sing is in tone four, but it's the Greek tone four. And a lot of times when we're singing the tones, they're in the Russian tone one, tone four. And so I just wanted to mention that the Our Father is the Greek tone four. Today, we commemorate the venerable Isidore of Pelusium. It is February 4th, 2022 of the Orthodox Church calendar, Thursday, February 17th, 2022 of the Gregorian civil calendar. And we're in the week, well, in between the publican and the Pharisee last Sunday and coming up the prodigal son. In tone one, it's a fast free week, again, because we don't want to be like the self-righteous Pharisee, but rather like the publican who says, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And we're in tone one. So let's start by singing the resurrectional Traparian. This will be the Russian tone one. And Traparian is a Greek term for an Orthodox hymn. Uh, you could think of it as a stanza too. When the stone had been sealed by the Jews, while the soldiers were guarding thy most pure body, thou didst rise on the third day, O Savior, granting life to the world. The powers of heaven therefore cry to thee, O giver of life. Glory to thy resurrection, O Christ. Glory to thy kingdom. Glory to thy dispensation, O thou who lovest mankind. And continuing singing, we turn to the venerable Isidore of Pelusium, Troparian, in tone eight. The image of God was truly preserved in you, O Father, for you took up the cross and followed Christ. By so doing, you taught us to disregard the flesh, for it passes away, but to care instead for the soul, since it is immortal. Therefore, your spirit, venerable Isidore, rejoices with the angels. And then we have the Kentuckian hymn as well, and that's in tone four. Finding you to be another morning star, O glorious one, 
The church is illumined by the brilliance of your words. She cries out to you, rejoice, all blessed and divinely wise Isidore. Now, St. Isidore, or the Venerable Isidore of Pelusium, lived during the 4th and 5th centuries. He was a native of Alexandria and was raised among pious Christians. He was a relative of Theophilus, Archbishop of Alexandria, and his successor, St. Cyril, commemorated on January 18th. While still a youth, he quit the world and withdrew to Egypt to Mount Pelusium which became the site of his monastic efforts. That's why we refer to him as uh, venerable, uh, because he was a monk. St. Isidore's spiritual wisdom and strict asceticism, combined with his broad learning and innate knowledge of the human soul, enabled him to win the respect and love of his fellow monks in a short time. They chose him as their head and had him ordained a priest. The earliest sources for his life, however, say nothing of him being an egumen. Following the example of St. John Chrysostom, whom he had managed to see and hear during a trip to Constantinople, St. Isidore devoted himself primarily to Christian preaching, that practical wisdom, which in his own words is both the foundation of the edifice and the edifice itself, while logic is its embellishment, and contemplation, its crown. He was a teacher and a willingly provided counsel for anyone who turned to him for spiritual encouragement, whether it was a simple man, a dignitary, a bishop, the patriarch of Alexandria, or even the emperor. He left behind about 10,000 letters, of which 2,090 have survived. A large portion of these, of these letters revealed profound theological thought and contain morally edifying interpretations of the Holy Scripture. St. Photius, February 6th is his commemoration, calls Isidore a model of priestly and ascetical life, and also a master of style. St. Isidore's love for St. John Chrysostom resulted in his support of St. John when he was persecuted by the Empress Evdokia and Archbishop Theophilus. After the death of St. John, St. Isidore persuaded Theophilus' successor, St. Cyril, to inscribe the name of St. John Chrysostom into the church diptychs as a confessor. Through the initiative of St. Isidore, the Third Ecumenical Council was convened at Ephesus in 431, at which the false teaching of Nestorius concerning the person of Jesus Christ was condemned. St. Isidore lived into old age and died around the year 436. The church historian Evagrius, 6th century, Writes of St. Isidore, his life seemed to everyone the life of an angel upon the earth. Another historian, Nikiforos Callistus, in the ninth century, praises St. Isidore thus He was a vital and inspired pillar of monastic rules and divine vision, and as such, he presented a very lofty image of most fervent example and spiritual teaching. This reminds me of the words of Bishop Nikolai Velimirovich. In prologue a few episodes ago when he says brothers let not philosophy take us for her slaves for she speaks by guesswork denying eternal life and the resurrection of the dead for we do not come to the truth by human guesswork but rather by god's revelation that which we know of truth 
we know from truth himself, which was revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ and communicated by us through faithful and wise witnesses of this truth, through the apostles and the saints. If we, through our sins, discard this witness and accept human suppositions, we are heading for a dark and terrible slavery to nature, to the body, to death, and to sin. My brothers, let not the empty fables of men deceive us. They come from men and are according to human understanding. They assert that the other world does not exist, or if it does exist, that we can know nothing of it. Look, we know for certain that the other world exists. And we know this not by guesswork and delusion, but from the Lord Jesus himself, who revealed himself to his disciples on Mount Tabor with Moses and Elijah, long dead, the same Lord Jesus who showed himself to so many of his followers after his death. And we know about it also from the apostles and saints and the many seers to whom God revealed the truth about the other world because of their purity and sanctity. If, on account of our sins, we will not believe these holy and truthful witnesses, then we shall believe impious and mendacious men and become slaves to darkness, sin, and death. My brothers, let not worldly doctrine seduce us, for it examines animals, plants, and stones, and then expounds that it has not found God among them, and impudently asserts that God does not exist. But consider, we know that the Creator cannot be a created thing among other created things, but is above all things and distinct from all things. And we know this through our spiritual understanding and conscience, and also through the clear revelation of the Lord himself, who revealed himself in the human body as the ruler of all created things, as well as through the testimony of the apostles and of many other holy and discerning men. Let us glorify him who rose from the dead, the Lord Jesus. O risen Lord, to thee be glory and praise forever. Amen. I just love those words. They ring so true today. So we turn now to our scripture reading for today. 1 John 1, 8 through 2, 6, and Mark 13, 31 through 14, 2. Here's 1 John 1, 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Chapter 2. My little children, these things I write to you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the expiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Hear the words of St. Siloan from Wisdom from Mount Athos. I too have lost grace and call with Adam, be merciful to me, O Lord. Bestow on me the spirit of humility and love. Hear the words of St. Theodicus of Photiki on spiritual knowledge. Though we may not be aware 
that we have done anything wrong, the judgment of God is far more severe than our own conscience. I do not judge myself, yet I am not thereby acquitted, but it is the Lord who judges me. 1 Corinthians 4, 3-4. through 4. And now hear the words of St. Augustine in Homily 1 on 1 John 1, 6-8. If you have confessed yourself a sinner, the truth is in you, for the truth itself is light. Your life has not yet shown in perfect brightness, because there are sins in you. Yet you have already begun to be enlightened, because there is in you the confession of sins. Before all, then, confession, then love. For of love, what is said? Love covers a multitude of sins, 1 Peter 4, 8. Now let us see whether he commends love with regard to the sins which subsequently overtake us, because love alone extinguishes sins. Pride extinguishes love. Therefore, humility strengthens love. Love extinguishes sins. Humility goes along with confession. Tell men what you are. Tell God what you are. Because if you do not tell God what you are, God condemns what he will find in you. Do you want him to forgive? Do you acknowledge that you may be able to say to God, Turn your face from my sins? Say also to him those words in the psalm, for I acknowledge my iniquity. See John himself observing humility. Assuredly, he was a righteous and a great man. He chose rather to put himself in the number of sinners that he might have Christ for his advocate than to put himself in Christ's stead as advocate and to be found among the proud who will be condemned. But some man will say, Then do the saints not ask for us? Then do bishops and rulers not pray for the people? Yes, but mark the scriptures, and see that rulers also commend themselves to the prayers of the people. The apostle prays for the people, the people pray for the apostle. Let all the members pray one for another. Let the head intercede for all. Hear the words of St. Ignatius, second bishop of Antioch, martyr, letter to the Romans 5.6. Even now, as a prisoner, I am learning to forget my own wishes. Let me imitate the passion of my God. If anyone has him in him, let him appreciate my longing and my plight. And now we turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and to each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster, or in the morning, lest, coming suddenly, he finds you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Chapter 14, 1.
After two days it was the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might take him by trickery and put him to death. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. St. Nicodemus the Hagiorite in Unseen Warfare, Chapter 23 Watch yourself with all diligence, lest the enemy steals near and robs you, depriving you of this great treasure, which is inner peace and stillness of soul. The enemy strives to destroy the peace of the soul because he knows that when the soul is in turmoil, it is more easily led to evil. But you must guard your peace. An advance of the enemy is a self-reliant thought. Make it a rule to regard as clearly coming from the enemy every thought which tends to decrease your conviction that all good comes from God, that you can succeed in nothing without the help of his grace. And finally, again, the words of Bishop Nikolai Velimirovich in Prologue. Precious to all men is peace of soul. With those who have acquired peace of soul, the body can be in constant motion, at work or in pain. But their souls, cleaving to God, remain always in unshakable peace. St. Seraphim of Sarov teaches, We must endeavor by every means to keep peace of soul. Do not be troubled by the insults of men. It is necessary at all costs to restrain oneself from anger and by watchfulness over oneself to keep the mind and heart from vain movement. For the guarding of peace of soul, it is also necessary to flee from judging others. By non-judgment and silence, peace of soul is preserved. When a man attains to such a state, he receives divine revelation. For a man to be able to keep himself from judging others, he must be vigilant over himself. He must not dare to receive vain thoughts from another, and must be as one dead before all that is of this world. We must tirelessly keep our hearts from vain thoughts and impressions. Proverbs 4.23 Finally, brothers, I want to share an article with you back from 2016 that first appeared on orthochristian.com and Russian Insider by Ibn Thranholm titled, Russia's Coolest Christian. I'm going to quote from this extensively to really drive the point home here. What defines cool in today's culture? Recently, there was a talk show in which the celebrity pundits were debating why it is not cool to be a Christian in the West. They described the contempt and ridicule they encountered when they opened up and shared their experiences of faith and church attendance. Western Christians experience growing intellectual and psychological persecution. This is a paradox in countries that boast of their freedom of speech. However, fear of social marginalization means that many no longer dare speak openly of their faith in God. Christians in the Soviet Union felt the same fear. They were kept out of influence and high office, and faith was considered a mental disorder. It's no longer the case, quite the contrary. Modern Russia sees it as cool to be a Christian. While Christians are denigrated in the West, Christian lighthouses arise in Russian culture as new moral and spiritual navigation beacons. One of the most remarkable of these beacons 
is the leader of the Night Wolves, Russia's biggest motorcycle club. His name is Alexander Zoldostanov, nicknamed Chirurg, or Surgeon in English. Now, Western media doesn't depict him as a saint, but rather a sinner of the Dirty Dozen variety. They demonize him for his close relationship with President Putin. The Night Wolves are depicted as Putin's Hell's Angels because Putin has visited the club in Western Moscow on several occasions and rode next to Surgeon, albeit on a trike Harley Davidson, at a Sevastopol bike show in 2010. In addition, Putin awarded Zoldostanov the prestigious Order of Honor Medal for his active work on the patriotic education of youth and for his efforts to preserve the memory of the fallen in the Great Patriotic War or the Second World War, as it's known in the West. In connection with the 70th anniversary of the Russian liberation of Berlin, Western media once again heaped negative spin on the Night Wolves. Quote, the 5,000-strong Night Wolves gang made international headlines last month as dozens of its bikers attempted to follow the 3,700-mile path of the Red Army across Eastern Europe to Berlin to mark the 70th anniversary of Russia's victory in what is known as the Great Patriotic War. The vast majority of the bikers many with Soviet flags tied to their bikes, were forced to turn back after they were refused entry into Poland and Lithuania, unquote. Western negative and simplistic demonization is intended to hide a completely different reality. The Night Wolves were no mere bad boy bikers. Alexander Zeldostanov is actually one of Russia's foremost Christian activists. Christianity was certainly not the starting point. Since 1989, the surgeon has been the leader of the Moscow-based Night Wolves. Initially, the club merely copied its Western counterparts. The surgeon wanted to be cool and ride a motorcycle to demonstrate his resistance to communism. When the Soviet Union collapsed in 1991, the Night Wolves started engaging in social activism to serve its community, especially among young people. They received much recognition and commendation for this work. In recent years, the identity of the club has developed a strong Christian element. Its core concept is now Ruskiya Put, the Russian way, which aims to apply the motorbike subculture to reviving tradition, spirituality, and patriotism in Russian society. Being a night wolf does not mean indulging in sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Instead, it means developing new forms and methods aiming at applying traditional Christian and spiritual values in combination with the activities appropriate to being a Russian motorcyclist. This includes organizing several annual pilgrimages. The surgeon developed from merely cool to Christian, and then to what he is now, a cool Christian. Western media's inability moderating their demonization of the surgeon and the night wolves as Putin's hell's angels testifies not only to the implosion of Western conceptual ability to understand personalities such as Surgeon, but also the fact that he is victimized by the same type of character assassination as the pundits on the talk show merely because he is a Christian. In addition, liberal democracy wages outright war on Christian values, be they conservative or orthodox. However, the Night Wolves fight back. The club's popular New Year's celebration for children at their headquarters in Western Moscow is popular. Night Wolves is a man's world. Heaps of metal welded into highly imaginative motorcycles adorned with steely animal heads. Inside the clubhouse, crosses are set up in various places, and the restaurant 
which resembles a theme park of fantasy, is adorned with beautiful images of Orthodox churches. The prominence of traditional Christian faith makes the whole difference. This remarkable combination of masculinity, raw strength, metal, and Christian faith resembles nothing I've ever seen in the West. Yet visiting the Night Wolves reminds me how much I miss this combination. Western culture has been sucked dry of men who will protect and defend Christian values. Men who dare to stand up to the spirit that suppresses Christians in the West and elsewhere. Spiritual warriors. Men who are able and willing to defend the faith. The New Year's show starts with a legendary figure from Russian folklore stepping on the stage and declaring the importance of prayer when encountering the threatening forces of evil. The narrative framework is a touching fairy tale in which a young girl, a snow maiden, which is indispensable character in Russian New Year's mythology, is saved by the glorious gray wolf, which represents the combination of traditional Russian masculinity and the good forces of nature. Christian Russia, Holy Rus, a more spiritual concept than a geographical entity, is under attack, and the enemy is not merely political, it is spiritual. The wolves, usually an aggressive predator, represent the forces of good. They speak of winning through love, friendship, and hope. They speak of the lies oppressing their people. The wolves find their strength and loyalty to truth. They represent the good power that fights for Russia. The ambassadors of freedom, Western diplomats, enter the stage driving in tanks and appear dressed in sheep's clothing. The freedom they offer is false and deceptive. The wolves appear grim, but inside they are lambs that fight for goodness and truth. You know, that makes me think of that famous quote by Rudyard Kipling, for the strength of the pack is the wolf, and the strength of the wolf is the pack. The message is that goodness requires a strong fist. Truth requires masculine defense. Truth does not aim to kill and wage war under religious pretense. Truth is concerned with striking the table to keep evil, demonic forces away. The core message is the struggle to build a Christian world and fight against the forces of the Antichrist, one of spiritual warfare. Surgeon attracts a young audience and speaks a language young people understand. Yet the show differs in its aim from ordinary Western entertainment. The show teaches children that it is cool to be a Christian and that Christianity is the only power to overcome evil. Yet Surgeon does not look like your typical Orthodox church goer or like a typical parishioner. He is an image of the Russian version of Mel Gibson's Braveheart. Quote, in our motorcycle club, our clothes are similar to the attire of the Christian monks, Surgeon explains. They are mostly black. They are never expensive. The leather is thick because it may protect you from hurting yourself on a road. A bike is a modern version of a horse. We see ourselves as modern Christian horsemen. Although Surgeon intentionally avoids using the word knight to describe himself, he still resembles a knight. Medieval Russia had no knights and castles. It just had princes who were invited by towns and villages for protection. In 2006, the Russian night wolves decided to adhere to the Russian and Orthodox Christian tradition, and they have stuck to their decision ever since. Quote, I am a warrior, Surgeon emphasizes, and the West is not only post-Christian, but anti-Christian. The night wolves represent to a higher degree the struggle between Christianity and the forces of Antichrist than a mere political struggle between Russia and the West. Surgeon and his efforts in the struggle of the Christian faith in a world full of fierce persecution of Christians 
reminds one of what the West was once. The growing oppression of Christians is due in no small measure to the fact that the Western church has failed to incorporate masculinity in the Christian faith. In times past, the church had fraternities and knightly orders, all for one and one for all. One signal achievement of the Night Wolves is their success with reviving strong masculine Christian faith and the spirit of fraternity among men. The modern Western atheist male finds no value in himself as a man. He is therefore denied the power and motivation to protect society values women and children. Politicians and priests alike address all and any issue in terms of therapy. Soft secular humanism denies that evil is a reality. Where a watered-down version of evil is acknowledged, it is attacked with the ferocity of dialogue, understanding, open borders, and feeble charity. Western Christianity has become so feminine, it is no longer able to offer protection to anything, including Western culture. Today, Russia had become the example to follow. The Night Wolves are not just a popular motorcycle club. They are a reflected image of the transformation Russia has undergone since the fall of communism, from chaos to Christianity, renewed and reinvigorated Christianity. The Night Wolves make it cool to be a Christian. At the same time, the Night Wolves embody the fact that modern Russia is in the vanguard of the spiritual struggle of our day between Christianity and the demonic forces that seek to engulf the world in chaos. No person needs to be born as a Russian to be in this struggle. Being a Christian places you in the middle of this epic battle. And on that great note, brothers, let's close with prayer. O Theotokos and Virgin, rejoice, O Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. For thou hast borne the Savior of our souls. It is truly me to bless thee, the Theotokos, ever blessed and most blameless, and mother of our God more honorable than the cherubim, and beyond compare, more glorious than the seraphim, who without corruption gives birth to God the Word, the very Theotokos, thee do we magnify. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, both now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy, Lord have mercy. O Lord, bless. O Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, for the sake of the prayers of thy most pure mother, our holy and God-bearing fathers, and all the saints, have mercy on us. Amen. That's it, good brothers. Maestro out. God bless and good night.